How are you doing? I'm grand. What's That's the cat good. on your wall? Oh, just some sort of cat cushion I have. Very nice. <laughs> some dumb stuff. <laughs> How are you? All good, yeah? I'm grand, yeah. I'm tired. Oh, I, I know the Always feeling. Tired. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks so much for doing this, man. My pleasure. Hey, man, you've a lot of books there. I do have a lot of books there, yeah. I fucking need to buy new more bookshelves, to be honest. <laughs> um, I, man, I'm the same. I have them in like boxes now, like these tiny boxes because so many. I know, I've went in the attic and stuff as well. Um, yeah, the joys. You're, you're like, I can't get rid of books. People are like, oh, give them away. I'm like, nah, man. Yeah, no, no, I wouldn't. Uh, no, I mean, not books I like, I wouldn't get rid of. Yeah, exactly. Books I don't I, like. And then the other thing, I'm, I'm into Kindle these days. Like, I find a Kindle very handy, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. It's kind of not, not the same. It's not the same, though. It's not the same. But it's so, very handy if you're on holidays or something, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Like, I am yeah. um, a few years ago, lo- lots of years ago now at this stage, I did the, I did part of the Camino. And it's great, you know what I mean? You have fucking, you have like thousands of books in your pocket, like, you know, in yeah. very light, like, because you have to keep your weight extremely low. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I was able to read, I think I read, I reread Trotsky's History of the Russian Revolution, which is like fucking, wow. It's, it's the white one there. It's massive. Wow. Um, but like, you know what I mean? It's on Kindle, so. Yeah. Shit, man. That's, that's, that's a big book, eh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of Kindle as well. You're. You just said, is it the kid your first kid that you had? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, congrats! Thanks. You could how's that? How's that going? Sleepless nights or? Yeah, I mean we're getting there now. Um, we didn't quite get sleep through the night last night, but we did the night before. We didn't the night before. We did the night before. So like, it's definitely going in the right direction, you know. Um. Yeah. So yeah, I mean it's very, it's a very upending thing to your whole life, isn't it? Um. Yeah. You got kids? No, not it's, not yet. It's not like, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's unbelievable. The, it's just, it's just unimaginable, the change like in your life, you know, there's no bigger change in your life. Like um, I'm a very flexible person. I really am. But even for me, it was, um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's big. My friend rang me the other day and he was like, dude, don't have kids. I was like, all right, man, I'll remember that one. I said, that's quite a common like initial <laughs> reaction, like, you know? Yeah. It's like, I love them, but yeah. there's always like a but. Yeah, and it's and it's that's you know, they're with you for years. Like it's yeah. not a small, it's not just for Christmas. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly, exactly. So we'll get it. We'll get into this this cool. lovely lovely talk. Um, I put out I put out questions to people, okay. and and uh, obviously most people, not surprisingly, <laughs> had one thing on their mind, and uh, was about immigration. And I think like where I live, it's it's a I live in like the good old rural Ireland. And a lot of people have issues with, we'll say, for example, in Balasadere, there would be like 115 asylum seekers moved in, and then there's going to be another 140 moved in, which is like 20% of the population of a tiny place already. Mm-hmm. And then there's kind of, they're all men, and there's really not much for people, there's not much for anyone to do anyway. So with regards to jobs and all like that, and I think the government and the media probably hasn't handled it the best by kind of, targeting people with the whole far right kind of thing and that doesn't do anyone any favors and i think i think it doesn't really matter where the men are from if there were if there was 150 or 250 dublin men moved in i think it's the fact that there's kind of fear of uh of not knowing or not have any the government seemed to not really tell people or have any conversation with people about anything like that where do you think that this kind of 
the the kind of end game with this is because even before we've had a lot of people coming in the last we'll say year we've had a housing crisis and everything and no you can't blame you know people tend to blame people coming in for that and we had a way before that yep. but i think it's kind of we're we're at a point where we're kind of at a breaking point anyways and what what do you think the end game is with this well, I bluntly, I think that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are delighted if people blame asylum seekers for all the crises that they face um, right. because it distracts attention from them. Uh, they need to be careful in how they play that. You know, that isn't yeah. they can't play that very openly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I think they're quite happy with it, quite happy to stoke it, um, quite happy to suggest. I mean, I've been on I was on the show on Virgin Media, the Tonight Show okay. with a, I can't remember if it was Fianna Fáil or Fianna Cater, but she said, she said, yeah, though, well, very difficult, the housing crisis, all these Ukrainians coming in, you know, it's a great excuse for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, like you said, like, it's just, that's bollocks. Like, it is not true. If all the refugees went home tomorrow, all the asylum seekers went home tomorrow, we would still have a housing crisis mm-hmm. because, like, just practically speaking, asylum seekers are in, like, horrendous, overcrowded accommodation, the kind of horrendous, overcrowded accommodation that the 12,000 uh, like most of the Irish homeless people are, are in. So they're not in the homes that we need, you know? Mm. Um, so I think the government is very happy for this kind of distraction and this uh, divide and rule of ordinary people, that it tends towards a situation where people look to, and it can be hard for people kind of structurally to look like far up there at the people who are benefiting from the housing crisis. Big developers are like massively increasing their profits. Their revenues are massively up. Big corporate landlords, like these people, like these are the people who are responsible for the housing crisis. But it can be difficult for people. Um, if there isn't a lot of struggle, if people's kind of heads aren't high, um, it can be difficult to look all the way up there and think that's the problem. And it can be easier to look at around the corner on the streets, the asylum seekers in tents or in the local community, this influx of men, et cetera, et cetera. And to blame them um but i think like they're just like they're not to blame like you know and even the government policy in terms of um like them being here isn't uh to blame um, and yeah. so I, I think there is there's is lots like there's obviously a lot in that question and there's a lot you can criticize the government for um like main thing well i think two sides in which the government is responsible one is um like the government themselves legitimize a discrimination between different types of asylum seekers. So the government treats Ukrainian asylum seekers like you know, reasonably well, right? They're like not, not great, but they get PPS numbers. They're relatively quickly in better accommodation. But if you are a man from not Ukraine applying for asylum, they put you on the street, you know? And the message that that sends out is like, oh, these people are in some way less legitimate than Ukrainian asylum seekers. So that's very problematic. And then putting people on the street where literally their tents can be burned. Um, but the second thing is both an historic and a current issue of neglect of communities. Um, and this is like, it's, it's interesting. So I, I obviously there's a, a center for asylum seekers around the corner for me. And there was a local meeting and there people were saying, why aren't these down the country? Why are they all in Dublin? You know, but then when you hear in rural areas, people say it's all in rural areas. right? (laughs) So people, but like, it's the same issue is like the basic neglect of communities, the lack of services for communities. And then people Mm -hmm. have a sense that, oh, this is going to put extra strain, etc. So I thought Michael D. Higgins had a good phrase, which is that we should flood these areas with services. Like that's, that's the answer is to, is to get rid of this like artificial shortage and it's therefore potential for for competition yeah um, he has a lot of room he's a big house he'd be grand he could you know sure yeah take a lot of people in 
yeah i mean and, and government <laughs> buildings in general should be should be looked at um yeah. like there's there's but that's like there's loads of vacant buildings you know they, mm. they they want people to think that asylum seekers are to blame it's like you know if you're burning the tent of an asylum seeker in sandwich street you can't say you're doing it because you think they're affecting the housing crisis. Like, why are they no. coming over here, taking our like spots on the floor to put their tents? Like, they're extremely yeah. vulnerable people, you know. Whereas there's fifty thousand homes in the state that have been vacant for six years or more, and the government is doing precious little to bring those into action to say we need use it or lose it legislation. Um, that like we have the resources in this country to mm-hmm. be able to give uh, like decent decent basic welcome like shelter not put people on the streets for people who are fleeing horrific situations and be able to address the the housing crisis and you know i yeah again to repeat the main point i think the government is very very happy for people to be not looking at the people who are linked to the government the fact that the government is made up of landlords etc um but instead to be blaming like other ordinary people yeah I think there's a certain aspect of it as well when when there's people like I have a friend I became friends with a girl who's an asylum seeker she, mm-hmm. she came around here and she had no one to hang out with and yeah. uh, you know a friend said oh would you talk to her she's from um, Ethiopia Sinet, like a lovely girl you know had a nice pl- job back in Ethiopia yep. selling like gold and had to leave to come here like that's the last thing she wants to do yeah I think exactly. the issue with that is as someone who is a genuine asylum seeker and then we, ha- we have to be honest, there is a lot of people coming who are economic migrants and stuff like that. There is a lot of that, even like the government came out and said that. And I think it's unfair for, it doesn't do her any favor or anyone else any favor for, for people that are coming here that are economic migrants. Uh, you know, it takes away from asylum, seek- genuine asylum seekers, and it takes away from everyone because we've, we're up to the, our necks with, with obviously housing issues and health issues and schools and, and everything. And I don't think it also helps matters is when we had something like 4,631 deportation orders and 87% of them weren't carried out. Like there's there's the thing of we'll say that you have to deport yourself. I mean, that's like someone like robbing somewhere and then tell them, yeah, can you go to jail? You know, just uh, just make sure you go to jail. And I think when you hear figures like that and when you hear people lot like people coming in um without passports and they're being destroyed and and things like that no matter what the situation of it, of it is and the government seems to not do anything about it that when the general public hear about it it doesn't bestow them with any faith in the government when they don't actually seem to do anything to even tackle illegal immigration as opposed to legitimate in- immigration well, but like, let's talk, talk about the phrase illegal immigration. Like, there's lots, I have to check the figures, but there's a lot of Irish illegal immigrants in the US. Yeah. Should they be kicked out? Well, I think that's I think that's probably up to the government, isn't it? Yeah, but what do you think? Do you think they should be kicked out? Um, Because you think illegal immigrants here should be kicked out. <laughs> so, like, presumably fair is fair, like... Well, I suppose if, if fair is fair, you could probably say, yeah. I guess if it's taken away from... from I mean, you have to... But that's the point, right? Is that like, um, is like many people here will know people in America who are illegal immigrants, who are illegal economic migrants, to use that mm. term, um, who have fled, like fled, right? <laughs> Much less bad situations in Ireland than the people who mm. are fleeing uh, to Ireland. By and large, obviously, you'll find exceptions or whatever. Um, but we understand that, like, like exactly what you're saying about your friend uh, from Ethiopia. People don't, in general, 
again, mm. you find exceptions. People don't just leave their countries, leave their families, leave their communities, leave the country where they know the language, for example, travel like across the world, often using like people smuggling, the dangers involved in that, all of that, like for the laugh, do you know? They're mm. doing it because they are in difficult situations, whatever those difficult situations uh, are. And like, that's something that Irish people have done, like a lot of, like, you know what I mean? We're probably one of the biggest emigrating na- nations in the whole world. And a fair bit of that has been, like I take a majority of that has been economic migration. Um, and uh, a fair bit of it has been like illegal uh, migration. And I think there is, like there is a problem with how some of it is talked about in the sense of only seeing people as a burden. It's like these extra people, Jesus, the health service, you know, the education, housing, etc. But like, they're not just a burden. They're people like your friends, potentially, like often they're people who are highly educated. Like they're not obviously all highly educated, but like they're disproportionately highly educated because they're able to get out of the countries that they're uh, coming out of. Um, and like, so, for example, I think we should be saying to asylum seekers, while you're here, while your um, application is being processed, while we're determining whether you're a genuine asylum seeker or not, we should allow you to work as we allow Ukrainians to work. Like, yeah. why wouldn't we allow these people to work in our health service or to work in construction, to build homes? Like, do you know what I mean? People aren't just like some sort of economic minus or some sort of drain on services. Like, services are provided by people. And some of these people would be able to provide those services. And that's the case I'd make. And it's the case, like, the, like... You know, the euphemistic term for the illegal immigrants, illegal Irish immigrants in America is the undocumented. Like, and I, that, that's fine. I'm happy with that term, the, the undocumented. I think the problem I have with it in that an American term, it's often used for white people. White people are undocumented and uh, brown people from Mexico or Latin America are illegals, you know, whereas they have the exact same illegal, illegal, legal or illegal status. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like those people are mostly working in the economy doing service jobs whatever they're doing something like so I, I don't think i just think we have to see like people actually have something to add want to add want to be integrated into the community um like that's that's a big thing like exactly as you're saying if you have whatever number of people regardless of their their gender or whatever sitting in a building they're not allowed to work uh maybe they're in some like you know pretty isolated rural area where there isn't a lot going on like we need to allow people and facilitate people in integrating because i think like i i I really feel very strongly that like if there's more integration taking place then the barriers are broke down and exactly as you're saying you know you know this woman and like she's a real person who has a real story and you know she's not some like fearful person like you know the way some people speak about like oh the male migrants and like the impression is they're all sexual predators when obviously the vast majority of sexual assaults in this country are done by people who they know who often they were in a relationship with or were in a relationship with and so it's this fear of the unknown so i think like that's there's a big government job to be done there in terms of funding for community sect services football clubs etc locally to do projects to integrate people and just and, and then to realize like, oh, okay, these people are going to add to our community. They're not going to, you know, they're not just going to take from it. Yeah, but you, but but can you understand the fear of like, I think I think what a lot of people would say is like, oh, people are just afraid, of, you know, they see it as like, oh, people don't like all the men coming in because we'll say they're from Algeria or from Georgia or whatever like that. But I don't, I don't think it's that at all. I think it's just, it's like if you've moved like 200 men into a tiny place, 
people are going to have fears. And I think those fears are obviously legit. If you grew up in a place your whole life and suddenly your your population of where you lived has been increased by 20%, I think that's a rational fear to have. Well, I mean, I, I think different people have their fears for different reasons, right? And they're like more or less legitimate. Ultimately, they have them. So like they're real, do you know what I mean? And you need to deal yeah. with them. It's not like I'm not... For me to say they're legitimate or legitimate, it doesn't it doesn't change the fact they have them and therefore they need to be addressed. Um, mm-hmm. Just for what it's worth, um, I certainly think uh, that some people have the fear based on the fact that they're black or brown men. Just honestly, uh, like, again, the meeting around the corner from me, this is kind of early days, shortly after East Wall, yeah. um, the beginning of the phrase you know, unvetted men of military age is like out there and this idea of vetting, et cetera. And like, you know, everyone's saying, but these people moving in, they're not vetted, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, but like, there's a hotel, like just around the corner, right? And like every day there's different men of military age who are unvetted and no one's like, we need to vet these men in the hotel, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I just, and if you look at the, the rhetoric, like, like I think, you know, some of those people are whipping it up against asylum seekers. Um, you know, they'd, they'd also like to whip it up against the Ukrainian asylum seekers. No, no question about it. Um, but certainly lots of them deliberately make a distinction between Ukrainians and non-Ukrainians playing into the government and like kind of taking their lead from the government that there's some sort of distinction. And again, I think that's linked to the idea that like, oh, the Ukrainians, they're European. That's like you know, better, um, safer, or do, less or dangerous. Do you, or do you think it's like a lot more Ukrainians that have come in and actually are kind of women and children that that could play a part in it too? I don't think there's the evidence for that. Because uh, I, thought, I, I thought most people that were Ukrainian actually are kind of women and children disproportionately to men. I mean, it could, could, that could be the case. Um, I don't yeah. know actually. Um, yeah. But I don't... Um, so you, re- you reckon it's more like to do with colour than actual anything? It's different for everybody. I'm saying I, I, I think that there's some people who have a fear. Um, and I think in like, you know, society today, I think in like like Western society, there is quite red, widespread in lots of people. And it's not something like overt racism. It's not something they're conscious of or whatever. But like mm. we all carry around biases. And um, one of those biases that is there is like fear of black and brown men. I think that's there. I think that's that's a factor in, in all of this. Um, I think that factor would be massively undermined if if the government like had not created the housing crisis that we have i think like you know what i mean this sense of a lack of resources and so on that's like that just exacerbates all of those things i think like the fears the prejudices again like i think we all carry around to some degree or other would just be less sharp in a situation where there is the sense that oh we've competition over scarce resources where there's a possibility of real integration where like like exactly in your case you we get to know these people and realize that they're people and mm. you know um but but i think there is something here about like the change in our society for being like a like overwhelmingly overwhelmingly white society to being like still big majority white society but like there's more people of color in in this country and i think certainly think there are some people who find that like oh this is this isn't the ireland that i grew up in um, yeah. and are a bit challenged by it again i think those people like i'm not saying the, the vast majority of those people are like hardened racist or anything like that i think it's a challenge to people and um, but i think it's a challenge most people like would overcome with like policies of integration and funding and there you know there isn't a sense that life is crap in general like you know um, yeah i think that's that's there yeah 
But you like you know as well as I do that the housing crisis is going to get sorted anytime soon. So there's that like, it's, sure. But it's it, it would be great if we could help everyone in the world. It, we but the world does not work like that, unfortunately. And I think at the the numbers of people we constantly keep taking in, like if we find if there's five hundred people that needs accommodation, we find it. Next week there's going to be more. Next week there's going to be you know like there's there's the government have actually no plan put in. They're just like, are sure it's going to be grand? That kind of attitude. So the government needs to have a plan. Absolutely. Yeah, but, but yeah, you yeah, know yeah. as well as I do, they ain't going to have a plan. Like they they should they were supposed well, to build uh, modular homes last year. Yeah, and that's last year. Uh-huh. You know, like everything this they say, it's always like, oh yeah, we're going to do this, and they never do it, and it it doesn't put any trust in. The, the public don't have any trust in people. When you see polls that comes out the other day of like in the business post, like 75 percent of people think we've taken in too many asylum seekers. Mm-hmm. That's a cause because of the government's actions of agree. literally not doing anything. And they put there's no there's no faith within the government. And also, like yes. even when we'll say Leo Fragker comes out and says people don't have the right to veto where mm-hmm. another person lives beside them. And he's right. But it, but also when in Balls Bridge there was a, a provision centre being put up and then the local people were bringing them to court and then it gets stopped. And there's, we'll say, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. it's like you don't have a right, but it depends how rich you are. Like there were in, within Feb- in February, there was about 3,335 asylum seekers and refugees in Tala. And there's 51 in Dublin 6. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's that kind of thing about it that you can see why people are like, like immigration doesn't affect Leo Varadkar because it's he doesn't have to worry about it. Like I mean, nothing sure. affects. Him. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I would argue that like um like I I agree with most of what you said there, right? And yeah. The only thing I I would say that like immigration doesn't negatively affect most people in Tala either. Like because again, just to be clear, like there is a perception out there that like somehow these asylum seekers are getting the houses that we otherwise would get. Like I'm on the housing list ten years, and these people and that and that's just not happening. Do you know what I mean? So like. Mm-hmm. I, you know, my life isn't any worse um, by virtue of having a center of asylum seekers who are all men, by the way, um, from outside of Ukraine around the corner from uh, me. But the main thing I'd like, I agree in terms of the point about the like the inadequacies of the government in terms of the housing crisis, in terms of responding to um, the number of people who have fled here. Um, but we need to try and redevelop the movement to kick out the government and to have a left government that actually serves the interests of ordinary people. Um, and I think that, um, again, like the government is happy for this kind of narrative to develop that like, oh, it's the asylum seekers. Like, I think part of the certainly the potential result of this, if not the intention, is yeah. to kind of cut across the momentum of that's behind mostly behind Sinn Féin to a lesser degree, like more broadly the left with the idea of let's kick out this government. Um you know, and if you look at like you're right, that's like, you know, the actual number of people who are part of the far right or whatever is like, you know, minuscule in this country. Um, but if you look at their output, you know, it is disproportionately targeting the left. They identify the left as the main aim, as the main problem. Um, mm. you know, loads of them used to be members of Fine Gael and so on. And their aim is precisely to like cut across the momentum towards the left government and try and because that obviously they they definitely fear that. You, but do you not feel as like it's like anything if you have a kid and you constantly tell that kid 
you're worthless, you're stupid, blah, blah, blah. Eventually that kid's going to feel like that. So if you constantly keep telling people that are not far right, the old granny down the road, that they're far right, they're going to kind of tend toward, they're going to lean towards that way of thinking. If you like, and I think the government, I don't think they realize they're, like we said, there's not really a big far right now. And let's be honest, yeah. like, but there will start to grow because it's grown throughout Europe. And it's, it's absolutely, exactly. you know what I mean? So like, it's not like we're immune to it. We're not. I agree, and that's that's the point line I would make is that like I feel that the far right they're still minuscule. Um, they they emerged from COVID, um, with a kind of toehold in society that they didn't have before, and you can trace this back to like their loss in the repeal referendum, certain decisions they made after that, the mm. beginnings of like kind of networks of people and so on. Um, and I think now they're attempting to exploit, um, concern over asylum seekers to take. The kind of next step forward and um, yeah. so i 100 agree that everyone with concerns over immigration or whatever like it's a very bad idea to say these are all far right 100 agree with that um, yeah. but also because of what you're saying of the danger of their growth and i think that's real and the danger that they do play a, despite their numbers they do play a disproportionate role in the protests against asylum seekers i think definitely and um, it still is important to call them out and to try and precisely make the point like to those who have concerns about immigration that like you'd want to look into who these people are and you'd want to not like just follow all their fucking YouTubes right, and whatever yeah, and yeah, fall yeah. down that because they have a broader agenda which is about bringing Ireland back to the way it was in the 50s Magdalene laundries industrial schools Catholic church in a position of domination do you know what I mean they're 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 happy to jump they went from COVID migration fucking attempting to take books out of libraries you know what i mean whatever issue they think they can whip up support so i i think there is a balance there like because i agree like i think because i think the far right also likes to say oh wait, 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 we're not like do you know what i mean some, some of the accounts you'll have on twitter like like what's far right you go onto the accounts well like <laughs> you're like quoting from twitter from hitler on your account you know what i mean i suspect you're actually far right. not a good so, idea <laughs> some of them play with that like you know that right. like oh right so far not far right you know what i mean um when like they know exactly who they are some of them like you know um but do you, do you think and... the do you think the government intentionally like the fact that we'll say the media kind of tends to label a gro group of people as far right because you know you could follow the old divide and conquer rule i mean if you keep people divided it's a great way to kind of you know if people are divided they're not going to get together and solve anything yes but i think that's like that's the purpose of the far right i think is to divide people uh, like ultimately they're like the tools witting or unwitting um mm. of like the economic power in this country you know what i mean it's it's not an accident that they are against the eviction ban right so they're on right. the side of landlords they're in favor of landlords being able to kick tenants out because that's ultimately like they support the capitalist system you know what i mean hitler didn't overturn capitalism he like made a like very authoritarian form of of capitalism as did uh mussolini like and that's what they want so like yeah i mean i, I don't trust anything that the government says like right i don't think they're genuine you know so like yeah like you know they they can't be trusted that's like 100 percent um the case yeah um, yeah i i feel like and i think a lot of people feel like the government kind of have a slight disdain for irish people like you the know. people in general they have a disdain for ordinary people it doesn't matter where they come from um they uh, yeah i don't I... and they want to ingratiate themselves with like you know the european elites for example like and um, that's part of what maybe the but like it's definitely a part of the drive towards militarization, participating in more and more NATO projects. They want to be like 
grown up people at the big tables in Europe and um, being mature, which means like heading towards joining NATO. Like that's. Yeah, like look, look at our neutrality. Like it's fucked. Mm-hmm. Like we had to. Like we uh, we should have been proud of having been a neutral country, and now it's slowly getting eroded and eroded and eroded. And I think that's exactly. that's such a sad thing to see. Like I mean, I don't know. I was always proud that we were a neutral country mm-hmm. and not get involved in bullshit. You know, and most people are, um, yeah. and so that's precisely why they're doing like um, it's like this like you know the frog boiling kind of technique. You know, whereby you do it bit by bit by bit. I mean, literally almost. I was going to say every day, right? It's not quite every day, but every week there is new developments in terms of eroding what is left yeah. of neutrality. Yes. Like literally yeah. every week. I don't think that's an exaggeration. I think if you yeah. go back over the last like four or five months, you'll find something, some news item once a week at least, which is is, is chipping away at this. Um, and they're attempting to do it behind the backs of ordinary people uh, because they know the public opinion is against them. You know, it's mm. this like funny thing, you know, at the start of the war in Ukraine, Putin's invasion of Ukraine, they clearly sensed, here's a moment. Here's a moment where we can use this kind of shock doctrine style to overturn neutrality and what is left of neutrality, right? Because in reality, they're allowing Shannon Airport to be used by US troops, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Um, and <laughs> they started out by saying, we, we need to have a public debate. You know, we need to have a public debate about this. Um, but then like, you know, we were like, okay, yeah, let's have a public debate. We put forward a bill for a referendum to insert neutrality in the constitution they voted against it um then they're like you know they keep going on about the need for a public debate but like the public debate is happening as in out on the streets people talking to their friends people talking to their neighbors and like the public is still very very solidly behind neutrality so then mm. like it's about six weeks ago maybe eight weeks ago at this stage that Mio martin said okay we'll have a citizens assembly on neutrality i.e random selection of citizens to discuss what should we do about neutrality and then like that idea was was amended and now it's no longer a citizens assembly now it's consultative forums based on the principles of the citizens assembly but like the most important principle of the citizens assembly being a random selection of citizens is completely abandoned instead this is like a hand-picked group of people they've given a government selected a woman called uh, louise richardson who's a dame of the british empire who's an academic who's written repeatedly in support of U.S. militarism, the invasion of Afghanistan, coups in Latin America in the 70s and 80s. Like, she's on record of this stuff, and she's the chair of the thing, you know? Oh, and wow. they're going to have a series of military experts. Lovely and, like, it's just pre, <laughs> it's, it's a pre-cooked thing. Like, we know what the outcome is going to be. The outcome is going to be, well, I think the outcome is going to be we should ditch the triple lock. Like, that's the next step. You know, it isn't, joining NATO isn't one big bang thing. They yeah, need to yeah. prepare for that, including increasing military spending to a point where Ireland could, see, could be considered for membership of NATO. Yeah, yeah, and and like e- even even in the aspect of we'll say, asylum or how it's kind of come to Europe, like that is in part of America's imperialism. Like mm-hmm. America go into places, disable exactly. everything, and then they're like, oh fuck the rest of you lads. E- exactly, and that's like like I want a world without forced migration. You know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And like forced migration, like one the vast majority. Of, we should remember this, right? We're in you know, the Western world, the vast majority of refugees are either in their own countries, they're displaced within their own countries, or they're in neighboring countries. So like 75% of refugees are in extremely poor countries. Most, the vast majority don't ever make it uh, to Europe. But like the leading causes of uh, forced migration are uh, war, of which US imperialism is like a very major uh, component, uh, repression, mm. uh, the US 
gives funding to a majority of dictatorships uh, in the world um, and increasingly climate change of which again like u.s capitalism and the u.s army for, are, are some of the biggest uh, contributors to um so like you know we, we need to have like it is a very unpleasant thing to be forced to migrate as people from ireland will will understand and we need to fight like you know in terms of ukraine we should be calling for peace and um, we should be supporting lula's yeah. initiative for peace talks and we shouldn't be sending more and more arms to ukraine or like in our case supposedly non-lethal military equipment that we're sending uh, to ukraine we should be calling for peace yeah yeah I, i'm not sure how far how is that going to happen unfortunately do you do you think um we'll say we're talking about it kind of, all that all those things come together we'll say with our neutrality be, being kind of very much eroded away and mm-hmm. kind of numbers that were coming in that that people will start to look at Ireland. They're like, oh, well, it's kind of not the same, whether they're right or they're wrong. I mean, immigration is a thing that's that is happening everywhere. It's not just Ireland. That's mm-hmm. it's happened throughout Europe. But do you think that that people look at stuff like that and they kind of look at we'll say even the census coming out yesterday and there's like there's like um, an eight percent growth in our population in six years, which is a huge like it's a it's you can't deny that it's, it's a big growth. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's going to play into like elections? And well, well, I think the problem with elections is I think a lot of people have this this idea that Sinn Féin or some sort of pro Irish party that they're going to and that that's not going to happen because no, we'd already have within the three parties, main parties, they're kind of all the same, really, aren't they? There's no real. There's no um, real well, difference cer- in them. Certainly, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are like, oh, they're one I- identical, right? Exactly. Yeah, they're, no they difference. are one. Um, Sinn Fein has to be tested. Um, I mean, I I think unfortunately for me the issue isn't that Sinn Fein is in some way anti-Irish, but that Sinn Fein is insufficiently anti-capitalist. Um, I think the division in our society is between those at the top, the one percent, capitalist class, big landlords, etc., and governments mm. that represent them, and the rest of us, the mass of, of ordinary people. Um, mm. But I, I think that, um, I mean, we, we see, I think there is, like, I think the tendency that was present at the last election and has grown since will reassert itself and to run into the next election of the main sentiment of ordinary people being, let's kick out Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, let's have an alternative. The idea of a left government in that mix, I think, is is there. Um, and that's, we certainly will be, like, campaigning strongly on that basis. We need a government without Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, um, and a government that is going to take the fight to the big corporate landlords, to the big polluting corporations, mm. renationalize the energy companies, bring costs down for ordinary people, have a rapid just transition, all those kind of radical eco-socialist policies. Um, uh, and I think it's probably still slightly more likely than not that Sinn Féin is in the next government, although like it's quite worrying that like the numbers do indicate Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael may come back again, which I think will be demoralising for people. Um, I need to leave if that happens. That's, I think it would be really demoralising for people, you know. Um, but I think there's a very, very big danger that Sinn Féin in government will disappoint people because, one, they're likely enough, unfortunately, to go in with Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael, um, and we know where that leads. And two, because if you look at a lot of signals they're sending off and um, they're meeting with the landlords and um, they're meeting with big businesses Good. they're softening their position in terms of neutrality they've softened their position in terms of special criminal court they're sending the signal to the political establishment and the economic establishment in this country we can be a safe pair of hands some things will change but they won't change all that much and that the danger is they will come into power and like 
you know, manage Irish capitalism um, in a slightly fairer way than Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael manage it, but not in a sufficiently different way that, like, actually we resolve the crises that we face. And I think that does open a dangerous political picture as well, in the sense of people may see that as like, oh, we tried the left. Like, we had Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, that was crap. We tried the left in the form of Sinn Féin managing capitalism. That's also crap. Mm. And then, like, I think, you know, that is a dangerous political situation in terms of the potential for the, you know, very, very small um, far-right forces to, like, take a step forward. Um, so I think having, like, a clear independent left poll, which is explicitly eco-socialist, like people before profit, to say yeah. we're in favor of a left government. If that government, if a, if a Sinn Féin government does good stuff, we'll vote for it. Of course, no problem. Um, but if they do bad stuff, if they impose austerity, if they privatize things, if they don't implement the change that people are electing them for, well, then we're going to hold them responsible, mobilize people from below, try and put pressure on um, Sinn Féin so that people can see if they do fail, they're failing not because they're too left, because they're insufficiently left. Okay, I get you. Do, do you think that we'll say regards of big issues like neutrality, mm-hmm. Um, immigration and everything else within Ireland, like we'd say, big issues that are that affect a country. Do you think there should be referendums put to the, to the general public? Um, yeah, yeah, I think I'm in general in favor of referendums, in favor of um the more democratic involvement of people. Um, you know, the idea like in, you know, in, in I think in Switzerland you can have like people's initiatives basically, whereby yes, you, yes. you get um. X number of signatures, a certain population, certain percentage of the population, and you can trigger a referendum. I think that's yeah. that's a good thing. Um, I mean, it, fundamentally, I am for like a very different, far more participatory model of democracy. And um, like, I think yeah. at the moment, and like having referendums would help this. It would give people, but like you know, basically at the moment, you vote in a general election every four or five years for people. And uh, they mostly tell a bunch of lies during the election. Elections are dominated by money. And then they go and do what they want. And they say, um, sorry about that situation changed. Or isn't that what you say during election or whatever? And then you're faced with the same choice again. You, you don't really have much control, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Whereas, like, you know, I'm in favor of a of a model based on participatory democracy, i.e., in your local community, you have mass assemblies of the local people. In your workplace, you have mass assemblies. and um, mm. You elect representatives. They're accountable to you. And um, Decisions are made at the lowest level possible. So where there's something affecting your community, the community gets to make the decision, you know? Yeah. Um, we elect people. They're recallable. They're on the average wages of people that they represent. Um, but also, crucially, we have economic as well as political democracy because, like, even the government, you know, who are, like, elected imperfectly and all the rest um they don't have they don't control like the economy you know what i mean we elect them but like Mm. unelected people people like mark zuckerberg or apple or microsoft or whatever they they control the economy dennis o'brien larry goodman they're the very whereas those key parts of the economy should actually be in publicly owned public ownership and, and under democratic control so we get democratically to say like for example in relation to the climate crisis okay we have you know, a carbon budget of X amount, we're running out of time, this is what we should be using on. We shouldn't be using it on private jets, for example, or we shouldn't be using it on the military. Um, we should be using it on things that will improve people's lives and, you know, get us to a, a rapid transition. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I have a few more questions for you. I know, you know, we've... T- I'm on, sorry. We, I'm we'll, we'll go tra- quick fire. Okay, good, good, good. Um, to do, the, the hate speech uh, bill, like... What are the chances that, that I mean that's so draconian? Like, but what are the chances that that's actually gonna gonna pass? Because I, I think 
you know, they're kind of putting in the way that it's going to be good for people that like we'll say like it, even a hate speech bill like that is actually bad for minorities. You know, I mean, it's not actually it. it's bad for yeah, everyone. Well, that, the evidence from Britain actually is that um, black people and uh, people of color were disproportionately affected by prosecutions under a similar section in Britain because we have police forces that are institutionally racist, you know, so then powers are disproportionately aimed at uh, people from ethnic um, minorities um uh, plus there was I that think... story did you ever hear that story about that girl it was it was probably the dumbest story i've ever heard she her one of her friends died in a car crash and she put the she put the words to one of his favorite song up on twitter and it had the you know the the n-word in okay. it and of course the police saw it and took her to court you know she got sentenced right, in okay. court and she was like yeah but it's you know it's it's my friend it was i wasn't doing it because i wasn't saying it and they were like no 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 you said it and I think stuff like that, you have to use your head. You're like, come on, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's not out of the realm that that wouldn't happen here. Yeah, I think I think there's like, there's real problems. I mean, in, in principle, I'm not against um, hate crime legislation in particular. I um, legislation that says there is a difference, I think, between assaulting someone and assaulting someone because they're black or because they're a woman, or whatever. I, I think it's fair enough that you have, like, higher sentences, you have aggravated sentences for mm. crimes that are aggravated by hatred in that sense. But right. um, I think there's significant problems with how the government has uh, done it, and they haven't included reference to, like, the right to freedom of expression, which is clearly a very important right that needs to be protected, and, like, all this needs to be, like, balanced against that. Mm -hmm. And then particular things in it, I mean, there's loads, but just to reference a couple, um, there's one which, like, they, they get, the government really, they don't like it being called a thought crime piece. Um, but, like, <laughs> that is, like, yes. you, if you have something on your computer that's hateful, there is a presumption. The presumption is that you're planning to publish it, as opposed to, which is, like, the reverse of what's normal in criminal law, where, like, the burden is on the prosecution. In this yes. case, the burden is on you to disprove it. And effectively, you could be criminalized for stuff that you have on your own computer that hasn't caused any harm to anybody. You know what I mean? There may well be very, like, hateful ideas, ideas that I would be very much disagreeing with. Um, yeah. But, like, I think people have the right to have, like, you know, bad thoughts um, and to write them down on their computer or or whatever. Um, and then also this thing called the demonstration test, which is, like, let's say, to talk about, like, you know, the idea of assaults aggravated by hatred, caused by hatred, that, like, normally you have to prove motivation. Um, mm -hmm. So if you, if, you, if you go into a shop, right, and you pick up a chocolate bar, and you walk out with the chocolate bar yeah. because you forgot, right? Because maybe you've got dementia or something. Um, you don't actually, you didn't actually commit a crime if you didn't intend to rob the chocolate bar, right? You have to, yeah. you have to have an mens rea and an actus reus. You have to do the thing, which is take the chocolate bar out of the shop, and but you also have to intend to take the chocolate bar out of the shop. Um, yeah. Whereas in this case, uh, and and the prosecution has to prove both. In this case, they don't have to prove um, intention. Um, all they have to prove is that you demonstrated hatred during or in the aftermath. And that th 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 there is a difference. Um, <laughs> like there is a difference between, um, you know, someone having, someone's saying let's target, you know, let's target this person because they're gay, right? Like, you mm -hmm. know, it's a pretty horrendous thing and it happens, it still happens, like, right? Um, and let's beat them up because they're gay. Like that's, I think that's appropriate, it should be a hate crime. But it's the difference between that and a fight breaks out between two people and in the aftermath of the fight, someone says something that is homophobic. But yeah. there isn't any evidence, like they shouldn't have said the thing that's homophobic, but there isn't any evidence that that's what caused the the assault. Yeah. Um, and so that's the, the demonstration test, which is used in very, very few um, countries. Um, in terms of whether it's likely to pass, I think um, the truth is it, it is. I mean, we were 
it was pretty much I like people for profit fighting a pretty lonely battle uh, against this in the doll. I mean, yeah. um, I, I I saw various people, you know, giving out about it, um, coming from the more right end of the spectrum, but like mm. they weren't really present for the debate. Um, Mahdi McGrath turned up towards the end, but it was it was me on behalf of people for profit, basically on my own, um, for for the debates. Um, yeah, so I think there'll be a bit more controversy over it in the Shannad, but I presume it's very likely to pass in the Shannad as well. Um. So, yeah. Jeez, that's scary. <laughs> that's scary. That is scary, man. Um, yeah. One one last thing before yep. I let you go. Um, I I mean I'm probably answering my own question of here, but like, how the hell did we end up with four thousand, nearly four thousand homeless children in Ireland? Like, yeah. I mean that is I just mean, insanity in it, my lifetime. It is. It's horrendous. You know, I mean, my, it's just shocking. Yeah. I mean, I think there's like immediate proximate causes and then like less proximate causes I mean, most yeah. most immediate cause is like the government yeah. lifting the eviction ban like yeah. that is responsible for it like it was it was actually infuriating i was in the doll yesterday for leaders questions richard was asking about homeless figures and varaker was like well but the figures continue to rise of homeless people while the eviction ban was there and then which is like yeah but like they oh rose God. much much faster after yes. the, the eviction ban you know and yeah. for Akers, it's like well it was bad in the short term bad in the medium term bad in the long term it's like no no clearly at least in the short term it like if the eviction ban was still in place these kids would not be homeless right and once they go into homelessness it's it's it like you can be in homelessness for years it'd be very difficult to, to come out of it exactly. um, so that's that's the most immediate thing um then like in the background of that is like a whole series of decisions made by successive governments to prioritize profit making of landlords and developers over the delivery of housing. Uh, so going back to the absolute collapse of social housing building and the sell off of, of social housing, like that's mm. kind of a fundamental underlying thing. Like we have in Ireland compared to other European countries, a very, very low percentage of genuinely public uh, housing. Um, then the government introducing policies consciously designed to increase house prices. Like a lot of people don't realize that, but that's like explicitly what the help to buy scheme is about. For example, it's a lobbied for by the construction industry federation, by the developers, like explicitly in order to keep house prices high, to keep developers uh, investing. Um, and then an absence of, of rent controls. I mean, the government, the government likes to be like, we're not ideological. We're just pragmatic. It's you over there that are ideological. But the government is, is ideologically committed to the market being the solution to basically any problem that they find. Um, so they're against serious rent controls, which would bring rents down to affordable levels um, because they're all about, oh, we have to incentivize the landlords to get in. Like almost everything they announce, like they have like two ideas, which is throw money at developers and landlords or like <laughs> reduce regulations and buildings to make it easier for developers and landlords to make money. Um, and the one thing that they just refuse, I mean, what we need to have, like with this massive surplus, we should have a state construction company we should be building homes we should direct labor not to be building luxury apartments not to be building hotels not to be building massive office blocks but be building homes for people and we should use the vacant houses so i think like like ultimately i think the question is i think not enough people think about it like this people think housing crisis is like some big natural disaster almost and nobody enough asks the question well who benefits from the housing crisis because some people do and like that's the re the reason that we have the housing crisis is because some people benefit and those people have enormous political power and influence with the establishment parties. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think they're gonna they're, they're not gonna sort out anything to anytime any soon. The government, anyways, they seem to just I don't know disaster disaster. Um, what how, like I know this is probably slightly off topic, but how did uh, what made you get into politics? Um. 
I mean, one, I, I never intended to be in like electoral politics. I never had any sort of ambition to be a TD or an MEP or whatever. I really didn't. Um, yeah. Uh, I was an activist. Um, I was radicalized by the kind of anti-globalization, anti-capitalist movement that would have existed in the late 90s when I was a teenager. Um, became a socialist, uh, saw the massive injustice in the world combined with the massive wealth in the world and said, look, this doesn't have to be this way. Like it really doesn't on a global level and an Irish level. We have enough wealth in this world for everyone to have a decent life. We really do. Mm. Um, and then I suppose the first kind of major, major campaign I would have been involved in is trying to stop the war in Iraq, um, which, again, I think for me really underlined how bad the capitalist system is, um, yeah. how like, you know, they're willing to have hundreds of thousands, ultimately millions of people die in the Middle East in wars for oil and profit. Um, they don't care. That's They're interested in oil, profit, power. Um, and how fundamentally capitalist society is undemocratic. You know, we mobilized in our like tens and tens of millions on the 15th of February, 2003. It was a huge day. It was a huge protest in Ireland, 100,000 people. But that didn't stop them. You know what I mean? They didn't care um, because they were pursuing the interests of the, the 1% and like it was ordinary Americans who were going to die and overwhelmingly ordinary Iraqis um, who were going to die. Um, so... Yeah. And then I suppose then I suppose the next major thing with then the bin charges campaign and beginning to see that like there is like an alternative superpower to the mm. US and that's the power of ordinary people. Um working class people in its broadest sense, those people who labor whether with their heads or with their hands, um, they're the ones who make the whole world turn. Uh, without them, nothing happens. And that's enormous potential power, mm. but it's hard to like activate that. It has to be unified together has to overcome the divisions that ex exist within it um, and then identify like this system is the problem and we need to fight against it and i think the the best example we got of that in action during probably our lifetimes um was like the water charges movement you know which like obviously i yeah you know that that like really solidified for me that like there is a chance to change society um we're running out of time um because of climate change we really are um but like there's nothing more important that someone can do is to put their try and put their life in the kind of on the scales of history on the right side. And, you know, if enough of us are on the right side and enough of us are actively engaged, hopefully that's enough to to tip things before it's too late. Yeah. Well, mate, thanks. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate thanks your time. Fun. I really, uh, really enjoyed it. So uh, thank you very My much. Pleasure. Yeah, you're li literally one of the only people TDs actually got back to me. Do you email everybody? <laughs> I email I email loads of people because I thought you know maybe I could you know would people actually have a conversation and it's more I'm more kind of curious to see would people actually write back to me you know like uh -huh. would the TD actually write back to me Holly Karen's wrote back to me too she did, she did so 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 I really appreciate that and you first, I'm just looking at the email you first emailed me on the 9th of December is that right I think so yeah yeah okay that's a bit away I think you were having you were you were saying that you were the the you couldn't do it because you're your baby was coming soon. So yes. I message you after February. Exactly. And now you're. <laughs> oh, now anyway, now I'm just tired. <laughs> and love my baby. So. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. Hey, yeah. Uh, thanks so much. Really Thank appreciate you, this. And uh, yeah, have have a lovely weekend day. And you have well, a nice day. I will do. Cheers, brother. Take care. Bye, bye. Bye. -bye. Thanks.